As I mentioned this evening, I'm going to be sharing with you some reflections about this theme, this theme of playing with perception. And I'd like to begin with a, a short quote by William Blake. It's something that he put into a letter that he had wrote to his main patron in 1802. And the letter was in the form of a poem. And he said, may God keep us from single vision. May God keep us from single vision. And the single vision that William Blake was talking about was the single vision of a mechanistic world filled with lifeless objects. And he was pointing out that there are multiple ways to perceive the world, to perceive our experience that open up new horizons in our life. And especially at that time, he felt like there started to be a single vision about how to see the world. And just with that, I, I want to slow down with that. Maybe you've experienced something, maybe not completely akin to what William Blake is saying, but when a single vision takes hold of your life, have you ever experienced that where there's maybe the single perception or single ver uh, um, vision that the world is always dangerous and I always need to brace myself against it. Or I can't trust anyone at any time. And there's a single vision. You ever experienced something like that at some point in your life? And how it confines? When, when a perception gets stuck in that way. And I want to be clear, like having the perception that something's dangerous or untrustworthy, that can be a great perception at times. Where it gets unhelpful is when it becomes a single vision. The only way I can see the world. So this is one thing I'm going to come back to again and again is like expanding our, our ability to perceive allows us to get out of this rut of certain ways of perceiving certain views we have of the world. And it's it's broader than that. Like if you look at the, the Buddha's teachings, one of the, the fundamental points, and I'll, I'll go into this uh, a little bit more in detail here, is that uh, to utilize the skill of perception, because when we ex perceive our experience in particular ways, there are particular ways of perceiving that lead to freedom. And this is going to be the entirety of our residency is playing with different ways of perceiving that can free our hearts and minds. Learning the skill and and uh, understanding the skill. So th this is this is really what this is about. Expanding our our ways of perceiving the world. And in order to uh, clarify the realm we're going in, I'm going to take some time this evening just to talk about perception and how we can sometimes think about it or reflect on it in a way that can be quite confining and, and to uh, just set the groundwork here. And the first thing I want to begin with is that when our minds get lost in this idea of a single vision, 
one way of perceiving some world out there, we can start to think that there's a right way to perceive the world and a wrong way. And then that can even percolate into our meditation. If I, if I meditate enough, I'll learn the right way to perceive experience. And then I'll come to see the true reality as if there's a true reality out there that if I perceive rightly, I'll see it. You know, and this can be a, a common, <laughs> a common understanding, even of the spiritual path that, that we're coming to see a true reality to perceive one. So let's slow down with maybe a different way of understanding perception and experience. First of all, I'm going to take some time about how we perceive this process of perception. Often, you know, we think we're perceiving in a way uh, of the world as it actually and objectively is. And we forget that always every moment of experience is co-created with the mind. The mind is at play with every moment of experience. This is, this is a fundamental piece of almost all of Buddhism to, keep, to, to come to understand, oh, the mind is partly creating this experience right now. And it's not, there are actually some schools of Buddhism that, that go this far, but at least in these, uh, in what we call early Buddhism, the, the, it's a, it's a co-creation. It's not saying there's no world out there that it's only created by the mind, but it's co-created. The mind is playing a part in it. So it undermines an oversimplistic view of that there's a right perception and a wrong perception. And to remember this, that every moment of our lived conscious experience is shaped in part by perception. And yes, I, as a caveat, there, there, there is talk of, at least in Theravada Buddhism, early Buddhism of, you know, the unfabricated or unbinding, which that's another talk, <laughs> but that's, you could say when there's a fading of perception, maybe something else happens, but, uh, but we're not going to get there right now. I'm going to put that on the, the back burner. I want to slow down with this, uh, concept uh, though around a right perception and a wrong perception and to situate what it is to be a human being experiencing the world because as human beings we experience the world in a particular way we perceive it in a particular way for example visually many of you probably know this as human beings there's a there's a particular spectrum of light that our eyes can see and there are other creatures, such as butterflies, certain birds, certain insects, that can see ultraviolet light that we can't see. And supposedly, I just learned this, reindeer. Do you know reindeer can see ultraviolet light? Is that true? And we can't see that. And other animals, maybe they don't see as many colors as us, but they have a broader kind of frame of a visual frame, like cats and dogs, because of how their eyes are situated. And also they can see uh, much better at night than we can. So just this visually, who's seeing the right world and who's seeing the wrong world? Is it the butterflies or is it us? <laughs> Do we have to pick? 
who's perceiving the true reality or with our ears again for most human beings and i want to say even with human beings there's a range audially what we hear there's a range elephants have a wider range in terms of lower frequencies and they, it's said that they can they can hear the rumbling which is the sound of rain clouds coming towards them or cats and other animals can hear higher frequencies who who hears the right world who hears the wrong world what's the true reality smell same thing we have a a range or a sensitivity these are these new facts i've learned they're so cool <laughs> i get really excited about this <laughs> so bears maybe some of you know this the bears the part of their brain that is responsible for processing smell so their olfactory sense is five times larger in their brain compared to uh, the size in a human brain so as a result Supposedly, they can smell like a dead animal car carcass up to 18 miles away. There are whole different worlds going on at the same moment in terms of, of different animals out here. And which one's the right and which is wrong, or if there's a true reality, it kind of misses the multiplicity and the complexity of what it is to perceive or how a world gets co-created depending upon the mind that it's interacting with. And there are senses that aren't even that strong or significant in us, magnetic fields. Some birds, right, this is how they navigate in terms of directionality or sockeye salmon or certain fr fruit flies or the sense of heat. Probably many of you know there's that, that, that small pit in between the was it the, the nostrils and the eyes of snakes that sense heat so they can have a sense of of a they can see you could say a warm body moving towards them even in the darkest of nights so really is there a right perception or a wrong one a right world or a wrong world the idea of true reality hopefully is starting to get undermined here <laughs> that spiritual practice isn't so much about that this is just in terms of perception but then there's another layer and this is again what we're going to be curious about at times and also influence at times which is the views that that shape perception and I want to point out some of these views aren't self-generated, and yet there they are in our hearts and minds. Like, for example, let's say you take a mind and you put it in front of a TV and watching movies for decades in a white dominant culture. And sometimes the result of kind of narratives in the media and TV and movies for decades from a white dominant culture is that all black men are dangerous. This can be such a common trope, a stereotype. It's hope, luckily, it's changing over the last decade or so. And then it shapes our perceptions and actions about black men. 
you say it's it's shaped a whole criminal justice system. A whole world has been created from views that then shape perceptions. The mind co-creates these worlds. Or how we feel in every given moment shapes how we perceive the world. So they've done studies to show that when people are more tired, distances appear to be farther than they really are. Or when people are wearing heavy backpacks, hills appear to be steeper than without that. Maybe some of you experienced that. <laughs> or when we're hungry, some of you might know this, uh, this study, I think it was in, done in, in Israel, where uh, parole officers or parole judges, they noticed um, when they were hungrier or more tired, they were less likely to grant parole to people on parole. So your chance of getting out of jail was partly dependent upon how hungry or how tired the judge was. It's creating, it's perceiving a particular world that is out there, a co-creation. And maybe something closer to home, which probably many of you know this in terms of your meditation. Have you noticed when that view that something's, oh, something's wrong with me is really strong? Do you notice how it colors the world, how it, how it creates a kind of world? Or we can get a sense of, you know, nobody really likes me. Uh, and there it is. There's, there's the confirmation of it. Oh, there it is again. That way, the way that person looked at me, wow. I know it, they really don't like me. A world is getting co-created in that. One perception creates a particular kind of world. There is no objective world out there. It's always co-arising with perception. That's the nature of the world. And maybe you can relate to some of these. Can you relate to this? Maybe to the backpack or something's wrong with me. <laughs> and, and this is what we want to get a sense of again and again. Whenever I'm seeing, whenever I'm hearing, tasting, smelling, this is a co-created world. And I, I, uh, remember the domain or the context that the Buddha is talking about this in. He's talking about it in this context of, oh, I teach only two things, suffering and the end of suffering. He wasn't talking about how to perceive a true reality. He was super clear about the framework that he was interested in. It's not about discovering the right perception. Like around suffering, just like the ones I was pointing out. Oh, interesting to check it out. Oh, when I think nobody likes me or I'm no good. Oh, interesting. This is the kind of world that it creates. It creates. This is the world of stress that it creates. Oh, interesting. This is what I'm learning about meditation. How my mind is co-creating this. So when the, the Buddha says yatabhutta the the poly knowing the way things are it's knowing that experience is co-created it's dependently originated on the mind 
And it's true. The Buddha does talk about distorted perceptions. It's a sutta, the Vipalasa Sutta. Vipalasa in Pali is distortions, the distortions of perception. But he's clear about how they're distorted. They're distorted perceptions because they create stress in our lives and other people's lives. That's how they're distorted. He's not saying there's a true reality and they're distorted because of that. They're distorted because what arises out of them. Do you hear how practical the Buddha is? He's not trying to get into some kind of philosophical or metaphysical claim about the objective world. He's curious about how your mind is creating a world or co-creating a world. And we can see this with anything, how, how perceptions get distorted, where there's a, a greed, maybe a greed for power that can distort, distort views and perceptions. And then those, those that same mind can view, uh, distort the views and perceptions of others. This is what we call unskillful. This is what we call akusala is the Pali word. It leads to suffering. So it's not like we're going into some relativist, relativistic world where we can't discern where there are skillful perceptions and unskillful ones. It's just that we're changing the landscape. We're determining that through what comes out of them. What kind of worlds come out of it? Are there worlds where there's more stress, more suffering, or less? And yeah, there, there is a place relationally to have, you know, for conventions that we agree upon in terms of perception. And all the examples I've been giving you are kind of how our distorted perceptions lead to our stress or how we can perceive in a way that makes things uh, not onward leading, that, that, that is rather confining. But I wanna point out, this is the important thing for the residency, is that there's also a power to what I'm pointing to. Because the mind, don't remember, it's like, oh, wow, the mind really co-creates the world. But it's also like, oh, wow, the mind, this mind, if I utilize it, can co-create a world. And there's a potential to this that we see just also in just concrete ways. For example, you go to a doctor, they pre prescribe medicine to you, maybe some pills. And this instills in you the view that this or these pills have the potential to heal me, to, to, to help me. And then I take those little things, which are infused now with the view and the perception around them, right? The mind is co-creating these pills and how they function. And lo and behold, you feel better. What's that called? That's part of that is the placebo effect. And sometimes when we hear placebo effect, it means that, that um, we're being tricked. What it really means is your mind is really powerful. This finally medicine is getting it is like, how do we harness the placebo effect like this really works to a certain degree, it doesn't work completely. You know there's limitations to all this. 
but, but how the mind perceives can help it heal. That's pretty cool. It's this potential that our hearts and minds have the power to radically transform our lives. This is, this is a fundamental part of what the Buddha's pointing to. And this is what we're going to explore. And there's a key word that I'm using to, to make sure this doesn't go down the wrong road. It's the word co-create. I'm not saying that the mind creates the world that we experience. It co-creates it. So this is different than, you know, some of you might have known this book, uh, it's quite old now, The Secret or this Law of Attraction, where it sometimes is taken to extreme. Like if you really think about that new car you, you want again and again, the universe is going to give it to you. That's more of an understanding that it's the only mind. There's something dangerous and oversimplistic that if we just perceive right, everything is going to change out for the better, change for the better in our lives. And hopefully you hear how highly problematic that is. Like there are conditions. If you live in a, in a neighborhood that is what's called a food desert, and all the ways that you can get food are at convenience stores, and the healthcare system in your neighborhood is really bad, and the educational system, and the water is poisoned, and the air is bad. It's important to acknowledge that individually and collectively that there are forces that shape our lives that are really challenging. And even internally, some things can be happening that are co-creating a world that, that humble us in a good way and make us respond to the world in a, in a very skillful way. So I want to make this distinction, hopefully for obvious reasons. Of we're not saying that the mind creates, it co-creates, it influences. There's nuance to what we're exploring. Not something oversimplistic like that. So I want to bring this a little bit uh, closer to Buddhism, and then we're going to uh, do some explorations together, just a few, just to get things going. There are three classical ways of perceiving experience, and we're going to play around with them a little bit at times, because it's all about play <laughs> uh, on, on this residency. The three classic ones that the Buddha speaks about are um, perceiving that experience is impermanent, that it's unreliable, the word dukkha, but it, I'm going to translate it as unreliable here, and that experience is unreliable, and that it's not self. And I want to uh, it's it's interesting because later on in Buddhism, these three start to be called the three characteristics of reality. Tilakana is the Pali word, but this Pali word tilakana doesn't doesn't exist in the Pali canon in the earlier parts of Buddhism, which is really interesting. The word that these three impermanence, unreliability, and not self, the word that they're connected with 
the Pali word is sanya, perception. The Buddha is, is he's encouraging us to see how experience, how, how this world that's getting co-created, how it's impermanent, how it's unreliable, and that it's not me. And why is he doing this? Because when you perceive that way, it leads to freedom. So I want to talk about how radical the Buddha is. The Buddha isn't even making a claim that the world out there is impermanent. He's just saying that if you perceive your experience as impermanent and really get that, you're going to be, you're going to have more freedom in your life. We don't have to philosophically figure out a true reality out there. We need to figure out how to perceive the world that starts to free the heart. And Tanisar Bhikkhu, he has a, maybe I'll post this, um, uh, uh, a talk he gave called The Three Perceptions. He's very practical about it. He says, that's where your attention should always be focused. He's talking about meditation on the machinations of the mind, because this is, oh, this is what this is. When we think about this is it's always pointing back to the mind. And then he encourages us to use whatever perceptions and means of contemplation that can cut through the mind's unskillful habits and apply them in a way that leads to the goal of the teachings. What's the goal of the teachings? The freedom, the freedom of our hearts and minds. So these ways of perceiving, learning skillful ways of perceiving. And then many of you know this around the Brahma Viharas. What are we doing when we practice loving kindness and compassion and joy, appreciative joy and equanimity? We're learning how to perceive experience in a particular way. It makes a difference when you can perceive your own suffering or the suffering of other through the perception of compassion. It makes a huge difference, doesn't it? You ever feel that around self-compassion? I mean, it's such a big tool I'll go to for me. I'm having a hard time. Last week, I couldn't get to sleep. I wish I could tell you it was different. What, was, what, what helped me be with that? Self-compassion. Wow, I'm having a hard time. I care about my suffering. I brought up this skillful way of perceiving what I was going through, that I care about myself. It's learning a way of perception that's transformative. Okay, so let's play around with this. Let's see what happens. What I'd like you, what I'm going to have you do in just a few minutes here, and this is going to be what I want to, um, kind of what we're playing with is first just kind of reframing our experience to begin to kind of think about experience in this way. And it's going to be around this notion that the mind is co-creating the world. And you're going to probably feel how it's connected with our meditation, you know, as I go through this, even though I'm going to be using a little bit different language. What I'd like you to begin to do right now is just to begin to think back on maybe the last few days or the last week of, of uh, your life here. And I'm going to have you begin to think about the worlds that you've inhabited during this past week, whether they be pleasant or onward leading positive experiences we'll put over here those worlds that you inhabited or unpleasant ones or ones that felt more confining. We're gonna start with the positive ones though. And 
I want you to start to bring to mind a time that felt pleasant or onward leading. And then get a sense of what were the views and or perceptions, it could just be one of them, that were co-creating that world. And yes, you can, you can say something about the external stimuli that was there, but we're more interested in this heart and mind, right? This is what we're doing in Buddhism, we're turning the mind, we're turning the attention back to the mind in this way. So let me give some examples just so you can reflect on this. And then we're going to use the chat box around this. I was outside, what is today? Perception around what day it is. It's difficult for me. <laughs> Yesterday, I was outside. It was a pleasant experience. The perception that was alive that made it a pleasant experience is the mind was perceiving the natural world as beautiful. And also it was perceiving the closest word that comes, even though it's not so much a, Buddha, a Buddhist word, but we can find it, is it also was perceiving it as sacred. It's like, wow, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And it even feels like it's more than beautiful. It's sacred in some way. And then it felt like such a powerful experience. And what can happen is I can think that, that that's only out there. Oh, but the mind's co-creating that by having the skill of seeing that which is beautiful, but this perception of beauty, perception of sacred. It's co-created in that sense. And we can also, we can only think about that experience as the beauty being out there. We want to start to see that, that the mind is involved in this. Or uh, the other day I was on, uh, I was FaceTiming a friend and his, his young girls got a hold of his, his phone. And then, I don't know, I don't even know the word for this. You know how you can transform yourself now with these emojis into like a, some kind of animal so you look something different, like something different? Like the, of course you probably saw the, the too funny lawyer who was a cat and didn't know how to, <laughs> stop himself from seeing being a cat so they were playing with it and as they were playing with it i just felt like what i was perceiving was their goodness and as a result of that i just was filled with delight and kindness there was a co-creation going on so what i invite you to do right now is in the chat is to not so much talk about what the experience was, if you were outside or if it was children, but just to name the perception that was at play in the last week of around some experience that was pleasant or onward leading. Right? So it could be, oh, the, the perception of goodness, the perception of beauty, the perception of sacredness. What was a perception that was at play? Perceiving joy. Perceiving delight, perceiving that someone loved you. What was the perception there? Or maybe the view that was at play, that was co-creating that pleasant experience. Simple, simplicity, yeah, the perception, perception that, that experience is simple can give a sense of pleasantness. Thanks for that. The perception of playfulness and joy, great. Sweetness, yes, perceiving sweetness. 
Nice, and we'll come back to that perceiving connectedness or perceiving innocence, goodness, yeah. Perceiving ease. Perceiving that people are basically good, yeah. Perceiving belonging, yeah. You getting a sense of how perception, how the mind is at play, it's co-creating every moment of experience like this. Yeah. Okay, let's uh let's go to the more challenging stuff. Around now, last week, let's play around with the opposite, which is um liking. Yeah, I like this, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh when there was an unpleasant or problematic or confining experience that you had, what were the views or perceptions at play? Right, the, it's co-created by the mind. Like a few days ago, I couldn't figure out how to do something on my computer. It was a very unpleasant experience. How was the mind co-creating it? Because the mind had the perception of frustration it had the perception of not wanting it to be this way. And you know the world that arose from that? Brian is frustrated. He doesn't like anything right now. It felt like a horrible world. What are the perceptions at play when there's stress? It could be the perception I'm not good enough. The perception this shouldn't be happening. What are the other perceptions that give rise to a stressful world for you? How is your mind creating it? Anxiety, fear, yeah. Fut the feeling of futility or the view of that, the view of not being enough, yeah. When we feel like we're stupid, yeah, the colors yeah ah that's a great one the the view that i deserve better yeah or i was created to fail or something is wrong are you getting a sense how these these are percept these are views in the mind and then they color what we're seeing it's the particular glasses that we have on and it's shaping the world out there so we're going to come back to this again and again. Okay, one more, one more experiment. See if you can find an object. I have a bell here, but you could use a bell, some inanimate bell, a watch, paperclip. I don't know if you can see the paperclip. <laughs> a pen, maybe hold it up just so we can see, just have something that you can use, just something simple. Great, a cup, awesome. Nice, I like all these, these objects, great. And so just take some time to feel whatever you have there in your hands. Just feel it a little bit. Notice it. And now what I want you to begin to do is I want you to practice changing your perception of this, whatever it is. And I want you to begin to perceive it with the view that it's alive, that you're now holding a living being. Slowing down with this. Oh, 
this is alive. It's born and it arises, it has a life cycle and it dies. To feel it's outside like this, what it's like to hold this, how do you hold it when you can fully perceive this as alive? And you might notice how difficult this is because we get fixed in our views. We have fixed views about what we can call alive and what we can't call alive. And I really want to push on all those things you've learned <laughs> and to see what it's like to perceive differently this, this living being now and what it feels like. Do you notice, I just want you to see if you can notice, do you notice how it feels differently at all? Like what I notice, and you might even want to put in the chat, chat, chat of how it changes how you relate to it. For, for me, what I realize when I start to slow down and here's this living being that I'm calling a bell, like I want to be really careful. I don't want to drop it because I don't know how it's going to impact it. It's alive. It's going to be impacted by how I move it or how I hold it. And I feel more careful. What do you sense when you get a sense that it's a living being? Or it's like I, I, I sense differently, like I'm trying to sense on its edges, like its pulse, like if it's breathing, or can I feel that it's like that? Thanks, Dixie. Like it has a mind of its own, like there's a sense of autonomy that it, that it has. It all of a sudden has, has this sense of a mind of its own, or there's a sweetness there, a quality of respect. gentle relationship with it yeah so i, I want to point out something this can feel kind of silly this perception that i was sharing inviting you to do around a cup or a bell or something like that so i want you to mark some of that that reaction because there's there's definitely arguments out there that the reason that the climate catastrophe is happening or that we're destroying our planet is because we're not perceiving it as alive. We would be more, as you say in here in the chat, we'd be more tender, we'd be more gentle, it would be precious, it would be more interesting, we would be more curious, there would be a sacred care for the earth if we could truly see that all of it and perceive it as alive. And again, that sense of caring that can come. Perception has power to it. And often what limits it are the narratives and views that have been, been instilled in us. Now just to come back, you know, this is something again we might explore, but this is some also what William Blank was trying to rail against around the singleness of vision of a mechanistic world, a lifeless world. It often can rip away 
our sense of meaningfulness in terms of our relationship with others in the world. Like, can you imagine there were peoples, maybe even peoples today, still today, that the way they perceive the world is that they had to do a ritual every day in order for the sun to rise the next day. Wouldn't that be amazing to get a sense that how you live, that the whole universe is dependent upon how you live? Set aside about what's the true perception and what's the not true perception. What's the perception that's going to free your heart? What's the perception that leads to less suffering rather than more suffering? And maybe it's true. Maybe we have to be kind of crazy to perceive in a way that's truly going to be transformative. And what I mean by that word, I'm using it in a positive way to step out of the habitual ways of perceiving that we've been given. So this is our residency, learning the skill of how to broaden and deepen ways of perceiving experience to free these heart and mind, hearts and minds. Great, thank you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.